0: You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Later this hour, Addiction, the book by Matt Knoffs. explodes a few myths. But immediately after the next commercial break, John Dibig, straining at the leash, ready to go again. He's making himself very popular indeed. not only killed the cat it spawned a whole radio show
1: Graham Hill's weekend variety wireless on radio live US
0: is the least qualified guy but look what they are doing today yet this guy is telling us it's better for us to shut up (laughs) better for you to shut up this guy I love it this guy this guy is telling us this guy it's called America That's why I like that for an introduction for you, because America, you know, you are that guy. You are this guy. We are for that guy. Him. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Just shut up. John Dippard representing <laughs> all of the United States of America. Yeah,
1: yeah, there you go. Yeah. Me
0: and Maine all the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: your point of view. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Um, Mike Hosking... Um, Likes to uh, take a stab at American politics every now and again. Um, usually screws it up. He's got really basic idea, but no nuance or depth of knowledge of the political scene. And he had a real crack at the little girl that was um, crying on the cover of Time magazine looking up at Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, you get the feeling from the article that, you know, Mike really kind of is a, a Trump backer. Because he goes, you know, it was totally dishonest and that the rest of the media were in cahoots to disc, you know, to go against Trump. And I went, wow, man, that's a big assumption there that the rest of the media is dishonest just because of Time Magazine put the cover of the little girl. But he was... But they uh, did crop the photo. But what he was inferring was that the, the little girl was separated from her family. And she wasn't. Okay, now here's the backstory of this. The little girl uh, became the symbol of the, of the separation of kids from their family because it was an iconic photo. And you know how that happens. You get one iconic shot. But you can get a real one. But it, doesn't, it didn't matter. Oh. She, was, she, she was the face. She became, worldwide, became the face of the, the horrendous policies that the Trump administration taken the kids. Like and they LeBron did, James is the face of football. Well, whatever. But they didn't say that she was separated in the article. They knew this. Oh. But they decided to put it on because she represented the scandal. The little girl crying, Trump standing over. That was the scandal. Yeah. And she represented. They didn't say that she was separated. I
0: still think they could have got a real one because there were no shortage of them.
1: But, the, boy, you guys, you just don't get it. Oh. If you get somebody else, they go, well, who's
0: that? Everybody knew who this little girl was. No, but no. It was the, an iconic the photo. Real, the real one. I mean, oh, the real one. Um, one that had been separated from their okay. parents. that doesn't matter. Would be really good to represent someone that had been separated from their parents.
1: Yeah, but it's it just, okay, your point of view. That's your point of view. My point of view is, and I never looked at it any other way, that this little girl was the face. Of what was going on because oh, everybody
0: had seen it. It's more grist to the mill, though, for uh, the Trumpites that say it's fake news because oh, oh, it's not totally, a true thing.
1: It totally is. Yeah, you know. But to so, say so, you'd probably be better off getting a real one. Nah, well, that's the, the 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 editor of Time magazine came out and discussed that, okay. and he said they went through the pros and cons, and because this woman, this little girl, represented because everybody in the world knew who she was. They'd seen the photo. They decided to go with that photo. Her dad came out and said that he was very proud of the fact that she represented something that was bigger than herself. So it had nothing. Where's her dad? Her dad. Because she was, you know, they, they, they frisked the, the two parents. You know, that's why she was crying, because she was being frisked. You know, the parents were being, you know, you know held up by the uh, ICE people, the border agents. But anyway, you know, to say that the rest of the media is against it, Mike... If you want to accuse the media, a particular media, of being fake news, try Fox, because they are fake news, and they support Trump no matter how many lies. And you know what, Mike? The bigger story might have been that this week, Trump broke all records. He spouted out 103 lies this week. This week alone, one week, over 100 lies. That might be a
0: story. (laughs) to talk about have you got a favorite from this week out of the 103
1: yeah i do actually you know he once again he keeps spouting the fact that his tax cuts are the biggest in the u.s history and they're number eight on the list not even close obama had bigger tax cuts than he did and his tax cuts are gonna i can (sighs) i can smell the recession coming because uh-huh. when Trump was on the campaign trail, he said that the news, that America was 19 trillion in debt, and we weren't, we weren't going to have a country because we were at 19 trillion in debt. You know what the debt is today under his leadership? 21 trillion. Oh, and you know what? It's going to keep going up because his massive tax cut, which is not the biggest ever in the history of America, is going to add a trillion and a half dollars next year, and it's going to keep going up. So thank you very much. So it's all bullshit. You know, the other thing about the, the Trump license, we're talking about immigration In Obama's tenure for eight years. Immigration went down from Mexico down every year. And you know what? The last three years, it went into the negative. More people went back to Mexico than came in. Really? Because Mexico's got a thriving economy
0: and people were going back. So it's a total lie. Actually, that's an element of immigration far um, too often forgotten about. Um, there is the thought, let everyone in. Those countries that they're coming from, they, they can lose their best. And yeah. those countries need to develop. Obviously, they need to be yeah. better countries you so that them. their people aren't racing out. Guatemala deserves to have a decent country yeah and they need these people yeah and the
1: same here in New Zealand yeah you know good scientists generally speaking go to America because you get more research money there okay, same for Iraq yeah you know so it it goes both ways now the other thing that you know big Trump lie this week uh, he kept saying that you know the, the refugees cost you know billions of America billions and billions of dollars. So he had a study. He made his administration look into this, so they could see he could support what he was saying. You know, well, the last ten years, refugees have generated sixty-three billion dollars. So, and naturally, Trump just squashed that
0: that investigation. Jobs for the ICE people? Does he count <laughs> that in? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know,
1: but you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You know, and if you want to write about us, you know, the the point of everything is. This scandal, this horrendous treatment, draconian treatment of these people is still continuing. There are still, I don't give a shit who's on the cover of Time magazine, there are still over 2,000 kids separated from their mother and father. That's the fact of life. And the goddamn government, a judge told the the government that they had 30 days to get these kids back. 20 days for kids 30 days for the parents back where? to the parents back, or back to, to the parents to Guatemala get them back to the parents oh, okay you know and you asked about that and the, and the US government you know under Trump has said well we're going to take as long as we want so you know there's a battle there mm. uh, but you asked about you know why you can't just send them back so I, I did some research on that and in the fifth and 14th amendments in America which kind of like once again makes America different got the Constitution law and order you were you are entitled to due process. If you get if you get to America and you get inside America, you get to go before a judge oh, to explain your case. No and matter what. No matter what, you get to you get your day in court. Right. We always say that in America. You get
0: I got to get my day in court. Right. You know to, a, to you know and so and you get thousands of people coming in, obviously illegally, yep. and they get caught coming in illegally, yep. and they get their day in court. We'll we'll, we'll just make sure. We'll We'll, we'll prove it in court. Well, we'll, we'll,
1: you get to to plead your case. Far out. Now, see, under Obama, they had what they called catch and release, where they didn't separate the families. They obviously caught people coming in, and then they took them immediately, like you suggested, to a court. And they got to plead their case. And in some cases, if there was a good case, they got to stay.
0: If it wasn't, they were shipped out. Right. Not that difficult, man. It's a hard thing to process all those people and get it right and give them it, due process and everything. But once again, that's what makes America different. We yeah. got the Constitution. We you, don't have that.
1: We you, we deport people. Yeah, a you court you, case. you guys just don't ship, we? Yeah, you do. You just ship them out. Right. You don't, you don't have a law to cover that. Yeah. So America's got a law to cover that, and Trump, as I've said before could care less about the Constitution right. he's trampling everybody's
0: rights thank you for explaining that because okay. I really did wonder yeah seemed yep. weird like Called creating due, more trouble than it's no, worth, no you know? due process okay that's the term all right the Supreme Court
1: Ooh, oh boy this is a big one this just you know now this is this is really huge you know uh, Anthony Kennedy um, is retiring he's just suddenly announced his retirement now the Supreme Court is you know the highest court in land in America And you got nine judges, and normally there's like four – like right now, there are four conservatives, four liberals, Mm. and Kennedy is what you would call an in-betweener. He
0: votes on both sides of the fence. Listeners will be wondering, is it part of the Kennedy – As No, he's not. He's not. not, No, nothing to do with
1: the Kennedy. Good good point. Good point. But he was like an in-betweener. He voted on both different sides. Now, when you think about the power of the Supreme Court, I'll just give you three examples – when it was a conservative court, 5-4 to the conservatives, they gave us George Bush because in 2000 there was the big controversy about the vote count in Florida, and the Supreme. And they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Al Gore wanted to recount the votes. The Supreme Court voted 5-4 in favor of Bush. Quite a turning point. Yeah, t- quite a turning point. You know, you want to look at that. Yeah. They don't need a Russian bot, John. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they also gave us... They weaponized the Second Amendment. The conservative court voted in favor of letting any nymph poop in America buy an AR-15 assault rifle with 30 rounds of ammunition. So if they hadn't voted that in, they wouldn't have been legal. Mm. And then the third thing re- recently, they voted in that you could have unlimited campaign donations secretly which, you know, my opinion totally screws up American politics because you got all these multi-billionaires trying to rig the elections.
0: And it's such a powerful organization because it sticks around for a long time. For
1: life, 30, 40 years. Yeah. You know, so you're stuck with it. So now now you've got... What if you get
0: old and (laughs) mental?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, Ruth Ginsburg is
0: 83 or four. <laughs> how old was that really old guy? Go- oh, how old was that really old? The old guy. <laughs> Strom Thurmond, was that him? Oh, yeah, he yeah. was
1: 96 yeah. when he finally kicked the bucket. But he wasn't a judge. He was a senator from no, North no, Carolina. No,
0: no, no, <laughs> yeah, no. he was no. actually quite smart until the day he died, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was all right. But yeah. still, you're right. You know, who knows if people get senile. But the problem you got now is, you know, okay, you know, last year Merrick Garland, who was a Kennedy-type of vote, oh. uh, in betweener, was nominated by Barack Obama. Mitch McConnell, who is one of the nastiest, will go down as one of the all-time failures of American politics. People think he's a wily politician. He's, but he's
0: the turtle guy. Yeah,
1: he's the turtle guy. Looks he's exactly
0: he, like a turtle. He's the
1: Speaker of the of uh, the Senate. He's an absolute scumbag. He refused, and it's in the Constitution that if a president nominates somebody for the Supreme Court, you have to hold a hearing, a senatorial hearing. You don't have to vote for the guy. You could say, I don't like him. But Mitch McConnell would not even hold a vote. (coughs) It went against the Constitution. Now – Talk about petulance. Oh, he said that they had to wait for the election. It was eight months away, a new president. Now we've got a midterm election coming up. We've got a president that is under criminal investigation – and Mitch McConnell goes, oh, well, we have to uphold the Constitution. And whoever uh, Donald Trump picks, we have to consider that man. <laughs> you know, short memories. The, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. But as somebody said this week, I was listening to a million different people, the GOP don't care about
0: hypocrisy. That's their platform. Yeah. That's their foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really don't care about it. They just don't care. What the hell's wrong? Something's wrong today, John. We're agreeing with each other. No, <laughs> oh, no, oh no! What's going on, folks? Weird. <laughs> but anyway, that's a that's a huge
1: argument that's going on, and our next topic will kind of cover that a little bit about what the Democrats should do about this. Not a lot they can do no. because they're behind fifty-one to uh, forty-nine in Until the Senate. Until November. Well, but see, and, and guess what? Normally these things take months and months and months to do. Trump is going to announce his pick for the Supreme Court on July 9th. Oh, okay. You know, Kennedy's retiring on the 31st. They want to get this in before the Mueller report comes out.
0: Right, Ringo's birthday. What's that? July the 9th. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I didn't know that. There's some added information. I'm just wondering, I don't think it's
1: significant. <laughs> okay, civility. Yeah, well, this is the huge argument in um, in America at the moment because Sarah Sanders got thrown out of the restaurant. And people say, well, you know, she got thrown out of the restaurant. They're making a big deal out of it because she's a press secretary. I think a much bigger deal is the gay couple that went into a bakery and wanted to get a wedding cake baked, and the baker refused because he didn't like gays. Yeah. I mean, that's a much bigger deal. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there. But you had her thrown it's out. It's
0: the same deal, isn't it? Well,
1: even more so... You know, because Sarah Sanders is like a policy. You know, the moral okay. policies.
0: These, these are actually, people. but it's the the uh, perceived right of someone. I'm not going to you. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So you got that. Then you then you have a lot of different uh, administrators feeling the heat from the Trump organization publicly. People are chanting. In fact, people um, chanted against uh, Mitch McConnell and his wife, you know, started screaming at him. Yeah, it's not going to work, lady. But anyway, so civility. So how far do you go with the civility? How far do you go? You know, and people are saying you have to rise above. But when you think about it, rise above, sometimes you got to fight fire with fire. I mean, they Merrick Garland languished for nine months without getting a hearing because these asshole Republicans refused to give him a hearing. And the Democrats could have been a lot tougher on that. They just kind of rolled over, you know, as they usually do. Uh, Okay, okay. So how much do you push You know, I mean, do you push? Do you fight back? And You know, you look at Hillary Clinton. She didn't really get into the name-calling and all, you know, the blah, 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 back and forth, and she ended up losing.
0: Misogynist, deplorable, Mm -hmm. irredeemable, homophobic, mm -hmm. xenophobic, didn't get into the (laughs) name-calling. That was half his speech.
1: No, you really really exaggerate there. You really exaggerate. Yeah, yeah, to make a point. No, yeah, well, yeah, but it was way, way over an exaggeration compared to the thousands and thousands of lies, Mike Hosking, you listening, that Donald Trump tells every single day. I, you know, I you d- said Hillary didn't name call. She did. Oh, she did name call, but she didn't get down into the total. So you were
0: exaggerating to- to- Total. fine <laughs> All right, you Look got me. You got me. Excellent. We're back on
1: track. Yeah, exactly. But here's a, a breath of fresh air, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And this is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 28-year-old woman, who works in a in a bar and a as a bartender and waitress type place. Mm-hmm. Her father died during the recession, so she was going to school. She dropped out of school to help her mother, you know, pay the rent and get the groceries. 28 years old, she took on a 20-year congressman in New York and beat him. Nice. And beat him. I mean, I, this is like this guy, the guy she beat, Joe Crowley, when, when, if the Democrats take over the House, he was considered to be one of the candidates for Speaker of the House. So this guy's a powerful guy, and she's 28 years old, and she she knocked him out of the ballpark. And I listened to her on one of the shows, and I got to put my hand up. God bless her. She had no rancor. She never mentioned Trump in her campaign, didn't talk about Trump in this, in this interview that i saw with her hallelujah was very vibrant talking about social issues working for the people doing this doing that and in a minute and a half she had me more fired up about the values of america than hillary couldn't came anywhere near because she was real yeah she was just herself yeah. she said this is what i'm fighting for and this is
0: like maybe this th- is what the democrats need this is yeah i was gonna say maybe this is a tipping if point if all you've got is hating trump you're not gonna win yeah, that maybe. Well, this you're not is... going to bring the nation together. Anyway. Well,
1: I think it's also a, uh, an indication that they want something different. Just Joe Crowley guy had been a congressman for 20 yeah, years. I'm yeah, yeah. not to say he's a bad guy, yeah, yeah. but here's a 28 year old fresh face with fresh ideas, and maybe that's what they want. So yeah. you know, quite interesting that. Yeah, hell, we're gonna go, John. Oh, bummer. You know, and just surprise, surprise. You know, Trump said that you know, hey, I solved the North Korea situation. You know, secretly they've been building up on their numerous secret sites, plutonium and uranium material. America has got no idea are how sp- many bombs. Are you got. a spy? How do you know this? Oh, it's the intelligence services have got satellite footage. Oh, okay. They know about it, Trump. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's still on the board.
0: Good one, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Graham. Life. Life. The universe everything in between
1: graham hill's weekend variety wireless on radio live
0: there have been many books about addiction and there have been books about demon drugs oh you think about go ask alice it's one of the areas in which it is the hardest in polite society to have a decent debate and sometimes even discuss it and its realities. The book's called Addicted. Look, I've had a good read of it, and boy, I learned a thing or two, how addiction affects every one of us and what we can do about it. I'd also like to point out it's not your gleeful, white-toothed-smiling self-help change your life book either. This is from people who've been at the coalface and it is personalising stories as well as the nature of addiction itself. It's by Kieran Palmer and Matt Knopf. Matt Knopf is from a foundation that he's started dealing with addiction and he joins us on the line. Matt Knopf, hello.
2: Hi, how are you going?
0: Is that a fair description of your book here?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I Look, when we started writing it, we, to give you a bit of context, our organisation has been involved in a lot of Australia's, you know, the beginnings of drug treatment uh, all the way back to the 60s uh, when the drug crisis started emerging. You know, so we've had a lot of experience with this and have helped thousands upon thousands of people away from their addictions. So we thought we had a pretty clear idea of what addiction was when we started writing the book. But it turns out we were wrong. And it wasn't just us. The latest research has really thrown the notion of addiction on on its head. And it's not something that's always negative. It's not something that always lands you in a back alley with a needle in your arm or smoking meth. It's something that's incredibly natural and as natural as falling in love. Our brains actually going through the same motions as when we fall in love with a drug like meth uh, or a heroin
0: yeah i've often stated that the uh the two socially acceptable psychoses are adolescence and romantic love
2: <laughs> you're not far from the truth there because what they've found is that when we look at addiction and they're saying that falling in love is akin to it well, let's let, let's look at falling in love when you or i or the listener falls in love with someone in those first couple of weeks when it's on We're thinking about this person, breakfast, lunch and dinner. To the detriment of our friends who are sidelined and they're a bit iffy about the whole thing, but the person who falls in love with a drug like meth going through the same thing, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Here's the difference. You and I, more than likely, the listener will recalibrate. After a couple of weeks, we'll go and have a beer with John, see a movie with Susie and we'll get back on with our life. And that person might be really important in our life. We might end up marrying that person, spend the rest of our life with that person. We might even say they're the primary driver of our lives. They give us a sense of purpose. However, the reason why you and I can recalibrate is because of people like John and Susie, because of our family, because of a connection to education, because we feel like our jobs are giving us a sense of purpose. And that's the big one, is a sense of purpose, a sense of life is meaningful. So there could be that you are religious, or it could just be you don't believe in a God, but you sense that your life has meaning. The person who stays in love with a drug like heroin or meth, ice as we like to refer to it, unfortunately, in, in Australia, that person doesn't have those what we'd call protective factors, the family, the friends, the strong connection to people outside of the family, like role models, you know, that their job is giving them a sense of meaning and education if you're a young person even if you're older, but the sense that your life is meaningful. You don't want to destroy that. And that's when a drug becomes primary. That's when addiction, which is natural and a part of our adaptive toolkit as human beings, can derail us. So instead of thinking of addiction as this thing that's always negative, it's actually a part of how mammals have been able to adapt It's how we obsess over things. It's how we get up and go to work in the morning. But it can derail us when we haven't got those protective factors in our lives.
0: There are a few myths exploded in the book as well. I should tell people the partner that you've written the book with, this isn't a business partner or just someone interested in this.
2: (laughs) Or my my romantic partner.
0: (laughs) As a psychologist, so you've got a lot of brain information in here. And it's fascinating Mm. about, it is, the physical, chemical, biochemical nature of addiction or how it relates to that mysterious organ the brain mm. addiction prone personality i often hear this i've mm. believed in it
2: you don't mm. no i think was actually one of the first things i went out to explore because it is something that a lot of us think about we think am i an addictive personality honestly Some of the smartest people, even at a barbecue on the weekend, and a young doctor uh, was saying that he believed he had an addicted personality. It's complete rubbish, and there's a lot of studies out there that show that. However, if we go back to what I was saying, that addiction is, if you think about love and bonding, which formed in mammals around 4 million years ago, there was a really clear reason of why that happened, why we started forming bonds, why we started falling in love. It was so we could survive, we could create more of us. And grow as a species and that's worked bonding with either it's one or however many you know technically you know back in the you know millions of years ago we used to bond with seven people roughly over the course of a lifetime but these days where it's more likely to be one two three whatever the idea is it's helpful for the species and so addiction is a part of that if we think of falling in love as an addiction as the latest research is showing up then yes the idea of that just some people have this addictive personality and others doesn't make sense. It's part of all of our brain. It's part of all of our mechanisms. It helps us get up and go to work in the morning. That's what addiction is. So Shakespeare, we think, coined the term addiction, and the r- way of him explaining it was an obsession. And when I first started writing about this, I'm like, oh, he's way off the mark. But then when we look at the latest research, he was actually spot on. It is an obsession. And as I was saying before, when it becomes an obsession about a drug like meth or heroin, you know, it can really be a destructive force, but it's because that person hasn't had the same resources as you and I, or that person was, as you know, you've probably seen Kieran, the psychologist in the book, talks about that trauma plays the protagonist part. If they've had that abuse, sexually abused, for instance, is a common one, common scenario for a lot of the kids that we work with, they're sexually abused by someone close to them, it could be their parent, their uncle, whoever it is when they're young, and they don't have those social supports around them, then yes, it's not surprising to see someone like that end up with an addiction that could derail their, the rest of their lives.
0: Yeah, fascinatingly, in the trauma chapter, it need not be anything as odious as being sexually abused as a child. It can Mm. be a personal feeling. Something you Mm. really wanted to happen didn't, and it really stuck like a broken bottle in your guts. Um, Mm. It can even be that.
2: Yeah, and there's a story in there about a wonderful woman who had grown up in New Zealand who had that sense. There was no kind of trauma there, um, certainly nothing as deeply wounding as sexual abuse in her childhood, but there was that sense of growing up you know, wanting to be a sports a champion, and that sense of her life wasn't fitting, and it didn't make sense until she fell in love with heroin. And talks about that, that idea right. of falling in love with heroin. And she's one of the most wonderful contributors to our um, community in Sydney now, and helps a lot of a lot of people away from their drug issues. But that's where she started out too. So you're, you're spot on there.
0: It depends what it means to you and in the context of your own brain at the time.
2: And I think going off that is that, again, when our life is derailed by something that we're addicted to, it doesn't have to be meth, it doesn't have to be heroin. It can be, so there's a chapter in there about my problems with smartphones. It's not tongue-in-cheek. It's absolutely serious. You know, like I, I have to have all of these things like make my phone black and white because they're designing these things now to be incredibly addictive. The colors, they're like lollies, they're constantly, you know, bringing us in. And when my life, you know, all of these other things were kind of melting away, when I wasn't finding a particular success, then I found I was spending more time on the phone. I was Googling idiotic things like Trump and waiting for the train wreck to occur. I was, you know, using apps more. And it took me into my wife... You know, was like wondering where I was. You know, at around six pm, and around six forty-five. Yeah, I said on my way, on my way. Forty-five minutes, I'm still there on my phone, and had failed to get home to put the kids to bed. And I realised, you know what? This is problematic. And that's when addiction, where there's that natural part of our brain kicking in. I was finding myself obsessing over something because something else was missing, and that allowed me to stand back and say, right. How do I recalibrate in this situation? So it could be a phone, it could be too many beers, it could be meth, it could be cocaine, it could be gambling, it could be uh, internet and porn, or it could be as neutral as falling in love, going to work and uh, getting on with your life.
0: The classical addict, the chemical one. I'll address this first. You know, the smartphone. Yeah, you mentioned a problematic moment that, you know, that wasn't mm. good for your life, not putting the kids to bed. But mm. the, the chemical addictions, most of them, not particularly good for your biological health. With the smartphone thing, um, it's really not going to stuff up your cardiovascular system, is it?
2: No, I don't think that, that's, you know, that's what we talk about. When we look at these addictions, instead of thinking, oh, it's just addiction is the problem you know when someone is using um, again heroin breakfast lunch and dinner in the same way they'd fall in love with a person yes of course it's going to destroy your life however you and i aren't that different to that person what we know in australia with a drug like meth is that most people only use it once a year then there's a number of people who use it breakfast lunch and dinner now that's not to say whatsoever that meth is safe it's not the idea, though, is, is we conflate this. We think yep. mess is the problem. Yeah. Mess isn't the problem, okay? The problem is, is it's the trauma. When our brain is derailed, we haven't got those protective factors, and then, of course, you throw in the grenade of, as you say, a drug that can absolutely just deplete your brain, completely stuff up your, your body, stuff up your, your mental health and your life, and you've got an explosive cocktail. So we don't think about drugs certainly in Australia, strategically, you guys are a bit better in managing drugs and you've got a, I don't know if you still do, but you certainly had a government who was, you know, much more pragmatic than ours and it came to, came to this a few years back. But when we think about drugs, I can tell you right now, it's almost completely useless to just say heroin's the problem, mess is the problem. No, the problem is that when we don't have the support for the people who need it the most, for whatever reason, if if they were traumatised because of sexual abuse or they haven't got that sense of getting on with their life, if you haven't got the support services there and then you add drugs in the community, you know, which is just now a, a part of our society, yes, you have a terrible concoction. However, if we're able to support people and we're able to understand that addiction is something that we all share, however, that person doesn't have the support, and we can add that support in and help them. We're going to get a lot further with the drug problem. But if, you treat, if we treat it like we're doing, it's akin to applying a Band-Aid to your leg being ripped off. It's time to get smart about how we deal with addiction to realise it affects every single one of us. But the person who has the meth problem needs more support services as opposed to saying, well, they're just an addict.
0: The head of the New Zealand Drug Foundation at the moment, and he's been here a while, Ross Bell, has made a lot of people recoil by saying we should legalise the drugs, go with the Portuguese model, it's not the drugs, it's half of the problem, if not more, is the very criminalisation of it, treat it as a health problem, not a crime problem. People with conservative, stuck in the mud ideas about drugs just screamed and ran out of the building waving their arms in the air saying what is this awful man saying (laughs) what do you think the (laughs) port in portugal Uh, no drug is illegal if you are using one help is available
2: yeah okay it's not quite like that let's go back to the stuck in the mud comment look i was in this place too okay so i'd grown up working with people who had a really debilitating addiction and couldn't get on with their life. The last thing that made sense was to make a drug freely available. And one of the things that we've done in Australia that I'm sure you guys are going to catch up with this at some stage is our injecting room in, in, in Sydney. Uh, we're about to have one in Melbourne as well. And what that did was manage the problem by having those people in one place where we could attend to all of their needs, give them the clean needles and the rest of it, but also have a doctor attend to it and then help refer them on to treatment. And that really made a big difference in King's Cross. So where in the 80s you'd have needles in the streets and, and people injecting in back alleys and people literally walking over bodies, that issue was managed and not only that we've seen an incredible reduction in the amount of people who inject heroin in australia over the last 15 years incredible now it's not just because of the injecting center but it is about taking a pragmatic approach so while we feel like our ideas can get stuck in the mud around this we do need to evolve them coming back to portugal portugal's model doesn't legalize drugs i'll give you an idea of legalization in colorado at the moment you can go into a shop and buy cannabis legally that's legalization but decriminalization doesn't go that far decriminalization says now it's still illegal to use the drug but it's now a think about it as a civil offense you're a parking fine or going through a red light you're not a criminal for doing it we've taken the criminality out of that so you could still be punished i suppose with a fine and a lot of people in portugal are sent to a like a forum where they have to speak to professionals and the professionals work out if you've got a drug problem or not. And if they do sense that, you know, if you've just used once or twice, they might not send you to drug treatment. However, if they've found you, you know, with a deep problem, then they refer you to drug treatment. That's the Portuguese model. So if Ross, who is an incredibly intelligent man and has done a lot for New Zealand, he might be thinking about both of those different models. And both of them have pros and cons. Here's the big one with legalization, and I think you guys will probably beat us when it comes to cannabis. It does have, look, I've got two daughters, and I'll make this super quick. When I first thought of legalization, the last thing I wanted, I mean, I'm the biggest straighty 180 you could find. I smoked a bit of pot when I was a teenager, two or three joints. My life is incredibly, you know, up and straight up and down when it comes to drugs. Never tried ecstasy, all different things, you know. I don't like the idea of my kids using drugs whatsoever. They're going to be teenagers in 10 years. I said to my wife, I've looked at all the evidence. People like Ross are paying on the money. You know, it looks like there's more control when we regulate a drug, that is, sell it over the counter, have a pharmacy deal with it as opposed to the deal. But I can't get my head around it. I don't want my kids using drugs. She said this. What would you prefer? That our daughter's go behind our back and get it from the dodgy dealer outside the school, or that they could go to a doctor and someone hands it over the counter at a pharmacy. And that's when the penny dropped, and I realised that it is about control, it's about being pragmatic, and we have seen in countries like Portugal that we can see less drug use if we do these things in a pragmatic way. It also takes the sexiness out of them. So there's lots of options out there, but I can tell you right now, what we're doing right now, both in New Zealand and Australia, there just isn't a lot of control in it, and I think we can get more control.
0: The drug addict is one of the sectors of society that is the most decried, vilified the pariahs. I've had the enormous luck, to know some pretty serious drug addicts who've contributed enormously to society so I'm in a position where I've seen that it's not always the always that way but man that perception if people who aren't addicted to something could just transfer what that person is feeling uh, physically and mentally into themselves for bugger it 10 minutes attitudes might change and I think this is why I'm bringing this up I think you all you've so many personal stories in here is attempting to kind of do that
2: yeah that's right and I think you've just again hit the nail on the head when we're able to step into the shoes of someone who is suffering from a debilitating addiction we're able to see that we're not that dissimilar that if you or I had grown up in those same conditions if our brains were wired in the same way And then this thing would give us a sense of just wanting to stay alive and get on with it. You know, we'd be in the same position. And so, therefore, for eons, well, you know, for at least 100 years, we've thought about the person who is suffering from addiction as weak. We've seen it as a bad choice. And the more we're finding out is this is all of us. This is about the resources that some of us have and some of us don't. And you know what we know? When we take care of each other like we do, luckily in Australia and New Zealand, it's not just the person who is suffering who is able to get on with their life. The rest of us become healthier and wealthier because we have less disease and less crime than you do in countries like the US. So there's a lot for all of us to win from when we can take care of each other.
0: You must have seen a hell of a lot with the NOS Foundation. Well, I can tell because of some of the stories in the book. I've never
2: met anyone who either hasn't had a drug problem themselves or doesn't know someone with a drug problem. Every one of us does. Mm. Every single one of us knows someone with a drug and alcohol problem if we don't have one ourselves. This is something that affects all of us. We haven't been as successful as we could be, both in Australia and New Zealand. Yet we're making progress. And I think this requires us to think about how we've evolved as human beings over the last four million years and the joys of falling in love and thinking akin to how someone falls in love with a, a drug like meth. It's time to get smart about drugs
0: how does the media get smarter about drugs, even polite society? One's not allowed to mention some things about drugs if it goes counter to prevailing opinions or the single attitude. The single attitude is outrage.
2: Yeah, and I think that a lot of that outrage is simply entertainment, and I think that will always be there, you know. We'll always have tabloid media as, as entertainment. I don't think that's going away, and I think that it's very easy for us to kind of say, oh, it's ridiculous, but I think there's a part of us which, which enjoy that. I think that when we can refresh our eyes and see that media in a different way. So one of the big headlines that was here a few years ago uh, was, I Zombie Chews Her Own Toes Off. You know, when we're able to see that for what it is, which is a form of entertainment, pornography, we're able to kind of stand back and say, oh, you know, that there's a limit there for me. I've reached the threshold. I don't feel comfortable enjoying that headline as much as I enjoyed, you know, something about a celebrity sleeping with someone or having an affair. That I can relish in. Uh, it's not going to harm that person. But I zombie choose their own toes off. The more we understand about addiction, the more we think, mm, you know what? I can't even imagine the abuses that that person has already gone through if they're suffering that bad. And not only have they got this debilitating addiction, they've actually gone and hurt themselves as well. When we take a step back and we look at tabloid media like that, one thing is to think about the stigma there, but the other thing to think, well, I understand the function of this media. The function is, is that it is a form of pornography for me, and that's why I like it but I I don't feel comfortable enjoying this anymore because now I see that it's not as simple as I used to see it.
0: Can you just say what that story was concerning again? I didn't want to interrupt you, but I I didn't catch the thing, the headline it was.
2: The headline, it was in Australia. The headline was, Ice Zombie Chews Her Own Toes Off. Chews with her teeth. How else can you describe that other than entertaining? No, yeah. you know it's 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 a, it's an episode of the walking dead that's what we i suppose are meant to feel when we when we read that i don't know maybe what are we meant to learn from that are we meant to learn not to take meth the problem is when we don't understand why that person was in that position and how harmful that can be when we understand it's entertainment we can start to reassess how we're going to partake in that entertainment
0: the thing that disturbs me about a headline like that is that it seems so outrageous it's overstating it part of that tabloid demonization media demonization of of a substance which when overstating it is a criminal because uh, a lot of people using ice or p as it's called over here will say oh, i don't do that so this is bullshit
2: that's right and and i think that's the, the one of the most interesting challenges we've had in Australia. They haven't had these ads on for a while, but we used to have these ads for P, as you'd call it, where dramatic representation of a person on the drug and they pick up a chair and they kind of smash an emergency department. And, of course, that does happen. Yeah. It absolutely does happen. But the government thought, look, if we put these ads out there, everyone's going to be scared of this drug, okay, and they won't use it. But what we were finding that with the people who were using the drug for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, one young person said to a doctor, really? When I see that ad, I just feel like I could be a superman on that stuff. And they do. That's the common, the common common is that the person feels like they have superpowers. Uh. This is a person who felt completely powerless. And not only the drug is giving a sense, a sense of power, but the ads are saying when a person does this, they can, they're stronger than a policeman and the authorities are trying to control them. You know, we spend time with government saying, "You really think those ads are smart? I mean, you might think you're trying to tell someone to stay away from the drug. You're telling them the opposite. Psychologically, you're really reinforcing why that person likes the drug in the first place. So, you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of sense to like taking a step back and thinking about why someone uses that drug in the first place."
0: we haven't really talked in detail about a lot of the stuff that's in it which is about the function of the brain different parts of the brain the biochemistry of the brain and that is utterly fascinating so so thank you very much good luck to your found na- foundation Matt Knopfs, cheers
2: thank you so much for having me and the last thing I'd say is we've got so many opportunities both here in, and in New Zealand and I think Uh, There's no reason why we couldn't make it easy for people who are suffering from debilitating addictions.
0: Good for you, Matt Knoss. We'll see. Good one. Thanks. You're tuned tuned in to Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Jared Hindmarsh joins us for another outsider tale after new sport and weather at the top of the hour. Uh, we're replaying some from ages ago that haven't made it on the audio archive. Uh, they will be there after tonight, though. We're looking at the waterfront strike, the famous 1951 waterfront strike, which really did split New Zealand. Oh, my word, it was bitter. And uh, probably reasonably safe to say you don't know the half of it. Jared does. Uh, That tale after 11 o'clock.